God is good to us. Why don't you join me in your copy of God's Word to James chapter 2. We've been in a series from this practical, inspiring book that God has divinely given to each and every one of us so that we can learn as believers how to make sure that our behavior reflect what we say we believe. James chapter 2, who our message for the morning is coming from. While you're turning there, I just want to thank God for our choir and our praise team and our media ministry and our greeters and to each and every one of you who make up the body of Christ. You're going to see words similar to these. I'm going to begin reading at verse 14 of the second chapter. James chapter 2, beginning at verse 14. The Holy Spirit inspires James to write, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you say to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for their body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. With the help of the Holy Spirit, we're going to look at this text with this thought in our minds, and that is work your faith. Can you say that? Work your faith. You know, I'll say it again. Work your faith. There you go. Father, help us in this time, dear God, to concentrate fully on you. Turn our attention and our minds and hearts that we are receptive soil for the seed of your word, that your word might take root in our lives and truly produce fruit for your glory. Draw us closer to yourself that we might hear you speak to us and be blessed to be a blessing to others. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. I can't help but uh, continue to be excited about what we just witnessed. I mean, we witnessed lives testifying of the Lordship of Jesus Christ, lives that have been transformed and confessed it to the congregation that they were now followers of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Those who were baptized today, we congratulate you. We thank God for you. We're praying for you, and we're celebrating all that God is doing in your life. And if the Holy Spirit is prompting you to be baptized, by the end of our time together, I invite you to come down the aisles. Let us know your intention that we too could celebrate with you uh, that you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and desire to obediently follow in baptism. Because that's what baptism is. Baptism is an act of obedience for a believer. Because we believe we are baptized. And we demonstrate in baptism going all in and going all the way with the one who went all in for us. That we are giving our lives fully and totally and completely to Jesus Christ. Why would we do that? Why would we be willing to give our all? Because God demonstrated his love for us that Christ gave his all. You got to understand something. Brothers and sisters, those of us who have been gripped by God's grace, 
Those of us who know Jesus Christ personally also know that there was a time in our lives when we were in captivity to sin and God broke into our darkness with the light of redemption, got us out of our sinfulness and called us sons and daughters of his. This is why we don't need anyone to prep us up or pump us up to praise God. When we think about all that God has already done in our lives, when we come in here, we come in like the psalmist says, we come in with thanksgiving on our lips and praise in our hearts because we know what God has done for us. We know how God has transformed our lives, how God has saved us from the penalty of sin, death, hell, and the grave because we couldn't do it ourselves. No, no, we know that it took the mighty hand of God, that Jesus Christ in his love for us gave his life for us, that we might be forgiven of our sins. He took on our guilt. He paid the penalty of our sins that we might be redeemed, that we might be forgiven, that we might be cleansed, that we might be a part of the family of God. And this is nothing that we earn. This is a gift that has been given. That's why if you were in old school church, you might remember the song Amazing Grace. Uh, you got it, how sweet the sound that saved the wretch like me. It's personal. I, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but guess what? Now I see that's grace. And Ephesians chapter 2, just before we jump into James so that we can clearly understand it in this context, we have to first establish that we are saved by grace alone. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 8, God's word declares, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. You can't take credit for this. Amen. This is not your own doing. You, you can't work enough for this. No, this is a gift of God, not a result of works, so no one can take the credit. The credit belongs to God because if we're honest about it, we can't do enough good to get rid of all the bad that we have done. Oh, I got three people that said amen. They're the ones who want to tell the truth in church. We are saved for good works through faith in Christ alone. Paul teaches us in his writing that our salvation is a work of God. God gifts us with salvation. God initiates the act of salvation. It was through the work of Christ that we are saved, and there is nothing that we can do of ourselves that would ever allow us to qualify to be saved. It's because of God's grace, God's mercy, God's goodness that he has invited us into a relationship with him, and we call it grace because we couldn't work for it. In fact, if we could work for it, then it wouldn't be grace. And yet the Bible tells us we are saved by grace. That's what he says, through faith in Christ. But he doesn't stop there. For not only does it say we are saved by grace, verse 10 of that same second chapter of Ephesians says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Don't miss this. Creating God for the works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Notice 
how the Bible marries the two, that we are saved by grace, but our grace is married to good works. Don't get this thing twisted. We don't do good works in order for us to receive grace to be saved. We have received grace, and as a result of receiving grace, we are gifted and empowered to do good works because we are saved. I hope you get this. We are not saved by our good works, but we are saved for good works. Salvation is through faith alone, but true saving faith is not alone. I hope you get it. It is always accompanied by good works that demonstrates our profession of faith, that there ought to be something that is demonstrated from our lives based on what has already happened in our lives. That, that if you've had an encounter with Jesus, there is something about you that ought to change. And it doesn't change from the outside in, it changes from the inside out. That God has such done a miraculous work in your heart and in your life that you can't help but do things in gratitude for his goodness because you know you can't outgive God's giving. The more you give, the more you receive. You keep doing good because God keeps doing good to you. Amen. Good works are only demonstrations of our salvation. They do not produce salvation. Good works that are referenced in James are a result of our salvation. Good works affirm our salvation. They don't accomplish our salvation. Salvation is not a result of works, but good works is a result of salvation. Did you get it? Because works, uh, as we look closely at James, is Actions done in obedience to God. That's what works are. They're, they're actions done in obedience to God. And so we are saved by faith, but our faith is not alone because our faith is accompanied by our actions in obedience to God. Your salvation is the root. Your good works is the fruit. So if you want to determine how much you're growing in your relationship with God, one way that you can determine it is how many good works are you doing for his glory. I'm in the text because you got to remember that James is writing to believers. This letter that is being penned, this practical letter is intended for those who've already confessed Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And look at what he writes again. He tells believers... He says, what good is it, my brothers or sisters, if someone says, I have faith, but their life doesn't back it up? What good is your confession if your behavior doesn't profess what you tend to confess? I'm just asking, what, what good is all that lip service if there's no life service? What good is it of us saying, hey, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, everybody in America say they're a Christian. But is there anything in your life that reflects Christ's likeness? 
And if you're looking at Paul, James, in the context of this letter, James says, hey, Christian, believer, listen, your behavior got to be backed up by what you say you believe, that if you believe in God, then goodness ought to flow through your life so that your love for God will be seen in your love for others. That's where we were last week. We looked at God's Word as James was writing there. Kristen, good to see you, baby. James is writing there, and he is writing, and he is telling us that as believers, we shouldn't show favoritism. In fact, that we should show love for everyone, no matter what their station is in life. So when we get to verse 14, we don't pull verse 14 out of the context of the letter. The letter has been written to challenge believers about their behavior as those who are following Jesus Christ. So he says, if your profession of faith isn't backed up by a demonstration of faith, can that faith save? Y'all thought that was a rhetorical question I'm asking you. Can that faith save? That's the answer. The answer is no. That's that's the answer that he's expecting here because he says, if you see someone, a brother or sister who's in need, and you tell them, and they're in need for food, and you tell them, oh, God bless you, God keep you, and you go back home to your abundance of food, but you haven't done anything to meet their needs, then your faith is functionless. If you see somebody who's uh, in need of clothing, And you know, this Sunday morning, when you went in your closet, you were trying to determine what you were going to wear. Don't look at me like that. You know I'm telling the truth. And you pass by those who are in need of clothing, and you do nothing to address that need, then your your faith is fruitless. It is being confessed, but it's not being professed in your behavior. And so he's telling us, he's asking us to examine our faith Get this, because faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. It's useless. First, he asks the question, can that faith save you? Some of us get tripped up here when we see that word save, but the truth is, in Greek, uh, the word for save can be used in different ways, in different meaning, determining by the context. And in this context, when he says, can that faith save you or save him, that faith he's talking about is one that is delivering faith. Not faith in terms of your eternal security that you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you are saved, but rather not your behavior, your act of faith, can it bring deliverance. This is what he's saying. Similar to Peter, when Peter steps out of the boat and he is succumbed by the winds and the waves and he sees the winds and the waves, takes his eyes off Jesus, he begins to sink and then he says, Lord, save me, deliver me. This is what James is saying, that your faith is a fruitless faith if your faith can't be used to help others see God's deliverance. And the only way they're going to see God's deliverance is if your faith is authentically demonstrated in your personal life. Get this, because sometimes we are masters at testing and, and really trying to judge 
other people's faith by what they do or do not do, but we fail to look at our own selves and determine whether or not our faith is being as fruitful as it needs to be. Because when it's all said and done, brothers and sisters, God's not going to ask you about the person next to you. He's not going to ask you about the person who lived with you. He's going to look at you and say, what did you do with your faith? Because if you don't do anything with your faith, then your faith is dead. I, 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 I get it, Anthony. I get it. We, we see that, that word dead, and we, uh, we, we, we get tripped up on it. You know, we, we get tripped up on it. We, we see it as being non-existent, but this is not what this dead means. Dead here in this text doesn't mean non-existent. It means something that is not being used. Uh, it is, uh, it, it, it's like, it's like those devices you carry around. Yeah, yeah, those devices, that, that, that device. You just picked it up. You, you know that device? You know, that device. We've got to catch some of the old people up, though. They don't know what I'm talking about, okay? Um, but, but, yeah, these devices, these devices that we carry around, you don't leave home without it, don't you? Go ahead and tell the truth and shame the devil in here. Yeah, yeah you, you, you carry that device everywhere. But, but if this device, in the process of you trying to use it, all of a sudden it cannot be used. All of a sudden, though it has all the gadgetry, though it has all the storage, though it has all the apps that you could think of having, though it may be an iPhone or an Android or something else, maybe a rotary dial, I don't know. But um, if it has all the apps and all the doohickeys and can do everything, but it does not have the power, we say that the battery is, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and your faith, like that of a cell phone battery, the question is, is the battery dead? He's saying, with all, Christ says, with all that I've done, with all that I've poured into you, with all that I've given you and empowered you by the Spirit of God to do the work of God, how's your battery life? He said, how do you know it? You know it by how you engage others. Don't miss this. You know it by how you engage others. Everything James has been talking about from chapter 1 to chapter 2 has been dealing with how we engage one another. This doesn't change the context of our text, for he's still telling us about how we engage each other. And he says that as we engage each other, if our faith doesn't show up, then our faith is fruitless. It's not giving God any glory. He said, goes on though, and he says, verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. I love this text. He says, uh, but someone will say, uh, not do, they'll say. Uh, they'll say, oh, I go to church. Uh, they'll say, oh, I read my Bible. They'll say, oh, I believe in God, and yet there's nothing in their lives that would reflect what they say. Uh, that's what it says. It says they, they say, I, I have faith. She says, well, show me your faith apart from your words. So if you were silent, can I still see you have faith? If you were not to tell me that you are a member of Champion Forest Baptist Church, could I still tell that you're a member of the body of Christ? By what you do, not by what you, what you say. He says, um, they, they're, they're confessing it. They're, they're saying it. 
but they're not always showing it. Verse 19, he says, here's a confession. He says, uh, you believe that God is one. Uh, you, you do well. That's what he says, you do well. You, oh, you believe God is one? Uh, yeah, yeah, you, you do well. Um, but guess what? Verse 19, even the demons believe and they shudder. Check out what he's showing you. He's showing us in illustration form that our belief, void of behavior, is no different from demons who know that God is real, and yet their behavior reflects that they are against the things of God. Yeah. Oh. Now, now it's easy to look at the demons. I'm trying to ask you to look at the delivered people. All right. Let's look at ourselves. Because there are some areas in our lives where we can do a better job at reflecting what we say we believe. If we believe that, that all things work together for the good who, to those who love God, who are called according to his purposes, if we believe that, that God will supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory, then we wouldn't be stingy helping people in need because we believe that God will meet our needs. Is this making sense to you just yet? That, that if we believe that every good and perfect gift, as James says in chapter 1, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father who's above, well, if God is the giver of every good gift and he's given you good gifts to help give it to others, then you shouldn't hoard the gifts that God has given you because if you hoard it, then you have no room to receive more of what God has for you. No, you give it with an open hand knowing who it came from is inexhaustible, that God will never run out of his supply of goodness and as long as I'm connected to God, I can keep doing good to others. That's what he says. He says, faith is demonstrated authentic, authentically, oh goodness, authentic, yeah, that word. Faith is demonstrated authentic, oh, authentic faith is demonstrated when it is seen outwardly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Authentic faith, real faith, not just uh, professing faith, but when you're living out faith, there's some fruit that will be developed in and through your life. Uh, a Christian ought to develop Christ-like faith, fruit that comes out that looks like Christ, that behaves like Christ, similar to that of our, our Haiti shoeboxes. We have these shoeboxes out in the foyer that uh, is available for us to use and to be a blessing to children all over Haiti. This is one such box. And I want you to see this box because this box is an opportunity for us to do good, for us to work our fate, for us to look at those who are in need, those who are hungry, those who are in need of clothing, and meet those needs. But if all you do is get the box and you never do anything to fill the box, if all you do is have the intentions and you bring it home and say, oh, yeah, uh -uh, it's a good deed. Guess what, y'all? I got me a Haiti shoebox. And everybody gets to see you go to the foyer and, and you get your shoebox and you show it so everybody can see you walking out with it. And then you put it on, on the mantle at home, and, and, and it just stays there. You never open it. You never do anything with it. You never fill out what is needed and then bring it back. Then what good 
was it in you getting it in the first place? Does God ask the same question when he looks at all that he's gifted you with, what he's placed you in you, and now he looks at what we are not doing with it? Look at how James uh, pushes his claim because he, he brings up for us two examples in the text. He goes on to say, you know, your faith, uh, if anyone says, um, I have works, you say, I have faith, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. He says, you believe God is one, you do well, even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want me to show, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Nobody said they wanted to hear it. I guess you didn't qualify for the foolish part. Um, That's there in text. He says, um, verse 21, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his words, and faith was completed by his works. His faith was active along with his words, that it was matured by his behavior, by his works. He says, that's Abraham. He says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab? Somebody like Rahab, he goes on to tell you, Rahab was the prostitute. And she was justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body is apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Check out what he does. He gives us two biblical illustrations of believers in the text. He says, Abraham and Rahab. He calls them perfect examples. Abraham and Rahab. I mean, I get Abraham. Abraham was the father of the faithful. Abraham was willing to give God his all by giving Isaac. But not only does he give us Abraham, who already believed God, and as a result of him believing God, was willing to sacrifice everything to God, he gives us Rahab. I like Rahab because Rahab is a foreigner. Rahab is an outsider. Rahab didn't grow up in the church. Rahab grew up in in the streets. The Bible says that she was a harlot, a prostitute, if you would. That was her daily occupation. And yet God saw a prostitute who believed in him and he justified her because of her belief. Hold on. And her belief backed up her actions so that when the men of God came into the city, she didn't think about her own situation. She thought about their situation, had compassion on them, invited them in, no matter what it cost or risk her. Hear me, brothers and sisters, if you really have real faith in your faith will show up no matter what the cost because God has paid it all. Jesus paid it all for us. So it doesn't matter what he asks of us. We're going to do it because we trust in him. Oh, I hope you get this. Because faith that is not accompanied by works is a useless, fruitless faith. No, we're not saved by our works. We work because we have been saved. We're not redeemed by our works. No, but we work hard because of the one who has redeemed us. Why? Because when you consider all that God, I can't speak for you, when I consider all that God has done for me, 
when I consider everything that he's looked beyond, when I consider everything that he forgave me of, when I consider how patient he's been with me, how merciful he's been in my life, when I consider that he gave me purpose and gave me peace and gave me forgiveness, when I consider everything God has done for me, then I can't help but love somebody even if they don't love me because when, God, when I didn't love God, God still loved me. I can't help but be merciful to somebody when they're not merciful to me because when God was always merciful to me. I hope y'all get this. Because he says, Jesus says this way in Matthew, uh, he says, Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before men huh? so they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Or you may find yourself, as Christ said in Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. 1 John 3.17 says to us, but if anyone, anyone, has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. We are challenged by God's word, the presence of God's spirit, to not only declare our faith, but to demonstrate our faith and how we express love to those who are hurting, how we express compassion to those who are in need. Second Peter, first chapter, fifth, fifth verse says, for this reason, get this, look what he says, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. There are times when we didn't show our faith. If we're honest about it, there are times when we were ineffective as Christians because we, we covered our testimony. Instead of demonstrating our faith, unwavering faith in Christ, we became selfish. We turned a blind eye to, to those who are hurting. And yet God is telling us, don't do that when I don't do that to you. God says, I see you. I care for you. And he wants to use you as a conduit to care for others. I want to invite you to, to bow your heads all over the building. See, a functioning fate begins with an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. Because it's there by grace 
you're saved by faith. That God comes in and he transforms our selfish hearts and minds so that we can consider others as we consider ourselves. Right now I want to ask you to bow your heads and speak to God. Because if we're honest, we need to ask God's forgiveness. All the times we, we ignored those who were hurting. The times where we were recipients of God's goodness and yet we didn't share that goodness with others. And then we want to repent from that. We want to make it our conviction that at every opportunity God gives us, we're going to share the hope of Christ with others through our actions as well as our words. Because Christ came that you might be set free. And if you're not in relationship with him, you know that because there's no fruit that's in your life right now. But that can all change in one moment. In one decision, a fruitless life can become a fruitful life when you give your life to Jesus Christ. And in a moment, I'm going to pray for you that you will make that decision, that today will be the day that you will say, I'm going to follow Jesus for real. I'm going to give all of my life to him so I can have a, a new song. I can have a new testimony. I can leave the world of selfishness and, and sinfulness and, and live my life as a servant unto the Lord. So here we are, Father. Thank you so much for your word, how your word challenges us as believers to not only profess our belief, but live what we believe. Now draw us closer to yourself. Those of us who are outside of a relationship with you, please draw us to you right now that, that we can know of your love. That we can be filled. That we can be gripped by your grace, filled by your spirit, and live our lives for your glory. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. If you can, stand all over the building as you stand. Thank you for joining us online. We hope today's experience encouraged and challenged you. At Champion Forest, we are passionate about all kinds of people coming to know God, to grow in their relationship with Him and others, and then to go out and make a difference in the world. We would love the opportunity to talk and pray with you. To connect with us, just go to championforest.org connect. And hey, of course, we can't wait to welcome you on campus, in person, on one of our locations. We'll see you soon.